Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Let me start with a little recap of where we are in the book of Judges. The descendants of Abraham, the people of God, the Israelites are in trouble. For generations now, they've been experiencing moral decline and they are barely holding on to the promised land. Several judges have risen to the occasion, have attempted to lead the people back to some resemblance of stability and faithfulness. But at this point, even the judges are kind of disasters. In a seemingly last ditch effort, an angel of the Lord visits a family who is not able to have children, promises them a son, says that he's to be a Nazarite, so no haircuts, no alcohol, and their son, Samson, is gonna lead the people back to God. Samson, he's the chosen one. Lots of expectations, lots of promises, a lot of weight on his shoulders, and so it's a good thing that he has superhuman strength. The question remaining is, is he up for the challenge? And over the next two weeks, we're gonna find out. Now to understand Samson, you have to understand what he's saving the people from. In the final chapters of the book of Judges, there's a line that gets repeated over and over. It says, quote, At that time, there were no kings in Israel, and everyone did whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Over and over, everyone did whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. It's a particular or peculiar way of saying it, but we all know what the author is getting at, right? No one held back, took a second to think about the greater good or God. They just lived their own lives, doing whatever they wanted in the moment, giving in to whatever caught their eyes' attention. Now try this with me. Picture a tropical island. All right, miles of white sand, crystal clear water. People flock there to get away from it all. It's, it's the perfect setting for a vacation. Now, what if I told you that this island was truly unique because there were no rules? Everyone could do whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. How do you picture the island now? Sort of images come to mind. What sort of activities could you imagine taking place on this island? I don't know about you, but I don't see people lining up for watercolor classes or quiet walks on the beach. I don't know what people would get into, but I do know that I, I wouldn't want my kids anywhere near a group of adults who were doing whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Call me a cynic or a pessimist, fine. I just happen to think that the eye often leads people astray. And that's a societal problem that Samson's stepping into, a world in which everyone did whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Samson's now grown. Let's see how the chosen one manages all of those temptations. Let's see what his eye, where his eye leads him. 
A reading from Judges 14, starting in verse 1. Samson traveled down to Timnah. While he was in Timnah, a Philistine woman caught his eye. He went back home and told his father and mother, a Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother replied to him, is there no woman among your own relatives or among our people that you have to go get a wife from the Philistines? Yet Samson said to his father, get her for me because she's the one I want. Or the literal translation, take her for me because she's right in my eyes. The wording's intentional. The author's making a point in these final chapters, take her for me because she's right in my eyes. So far, Samson doesn't look all that different. Something has caught his eye. Let's see how this goes. I invite you to get comfortable, settle in, because I'm gonna read a large chunk this morning. The story of Samson is so complete and so well-written that over the next two weeks, We're just going to read all of it. All right, so I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Then Samson traveled down to Timnah with his father and mother. When he came to the vineyards in Timnah, suddenly a lone young lion came roaring to meet him. The Lord's spirit rushed over him and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as one might tear apart a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he traveled down and talked with the woman. She was the one Samson wanted. After a while, he came back again to marry her. He turned aside to the lion to look at the lion's remains, and there was a swarm of bees with honey inside the lion's skeleton. He scooped the honey into his hands, eating it as he continued along. When he got to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it too, but he didn't tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's skeleton. His father traveled down to the woman, and Samson put on a feast there, as was custom for young men. When the townspeople saw him, they selected 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me tell you a riddle. If you can figure it out and tell me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes. But if you can't tell me the answer, then it is you who have to give me 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes. So they replied to him, tell your riddle. Let's hear it. He said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong, there came something sweet. For three days, they couldn't tell the answer to the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, seduce your husband so he'll tell us the answer to the riddle, or else we'll set fire to you and your household. Were we invited here just to become poor? So Samson's wife cried on his shoulder and said, you hate me, you don't love me. You told a riddle to my people, but didn't tell me the answer. He replied to her, look, I haven't even told the answer to my father and mother. Why should I tell it to you? But she cried on his shoulder for the rest of the seven days of feast. Finally, on the seventh day, 
He told her the answer, for she had nagged him. She told her people the answer to the riddle. So on the seventh day before the sunset, the townspeople said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He replied to them, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have figured out my riddle. Then the Lord's spirit rushed over him and he went down to Ashkelon. He killed 30 of their men, stripped them of their robes and gave the sets of clothes to the ones who had told the answer of the riddle. In anger, he went back up to his father's household. Samson's wife then married one of those who had been his companions. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife bringing along a young goat. He said, let me go into my wife's bedroom, but her father wouldn't allow him to go in. Her father said, I'm so sure that you had completely rejected her that I gave her into marriage to one of your companions. Don't you think her younger sister is even better? Let her be your wife instead. Samson replied, no one can blame me now for being ready to bring down trouble on the Philistines. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, picture this, and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened torches to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and released the foxes into the Philistines' grain fields. So he burned the stack grain, the standing grain, the vineyards, and the olive orchards. The Philistines inquired, who did this? So it was reported, Samson, the Timonite son-in-law, did it because his father-in-law gave his wife in marriage to one of his companions. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father. Samson then responded to them, if this is how you act, then I won't stop until I get revenge against you. He struck them hard, taking their legs right out from under them. Then he traveled down and stayed in a cave at the rock in Edom. The Philistines marched up, made camp in Judah, and released their forces at Lehi. Now the people of Judah asked, why have you marched up against us? We've marched up to take Samson prisoner, they replied, and to do to him just what he did to us. So 3,000 people from Judah traveled down to the cave at the rock at Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? But he told them, I did to them just what they did to me. Then the people of Judah said to him, we've come down to take you prisoner so we can turn you over to the Philistines. Samson responded to them, just promise that you won't attack me yourself. We won't, they said. We'll only take you as prisoners so we can turn you over to them. We won't kill you. Then they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines met him and came out shouting. The Lord's spirit rushed over him. The ropes on his arm became like burned up linen and the ties melted right off his hands. He found a donkey's fresh jawbone, picked it up and used it to attack 1,000 of them. 
Samson said, with a, donkey's do- with a donkey's jawbone, stacks on stacks. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed 1,000 men. That's the first time I've ever heard Joey. When he finished speaking, he tossed away the jawbone, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's quite the story. That escalated quickly. Samson was supposed to be the Nazarite savior, set aside from birth, chosen by God to redeem the people, return them to the land of promise, but he seems more like a a Hulk-type character, filled with rage, doing whatever he sees fit in his own eyes. Like we said last week, superpowers? Yes. Super weaknesses? Right? Also, yes. Women catch his eye. He likes to, to gamble and make bets. His anger causes him to become unhinged over and over, and his strength, it only seems to be used for, for violence. I don't know about you, but that's sort of how I pictured that tropical island going. And it sounds like a society that does whatever they see fit in their own eyes. And, and honestly, that's a little depressing to say. One of my core convictions and, and core teachings among you is, is that you are good. I am good. We are good. Good. Supremely good, that the goodness of God is inside of us, that the spiritual journey is an inward turn in which we learn to live into this divine image that's, that's bestowed on all of us. I often find myself pushing back on Reformed theologies that overemphasize people's sinfulness, their brokenness, their, their total depravity. And at the same time, People sometimes make me nervous. I don't always trust them. Whether right or wrong, I I tend to believe that people's eyes at times are attracted to things that are not good for them or good for society at large. And so this morning calls us to ask the question, what sort of things catch our eye? If someone was to record all of our side glances, all of our second takes, all of the things we feed our eyes with, what sort of highlight would we be watching? What sort of tropical island would our mind's eye create for us? Now this is a bit of a pivot, but walk this one out with me. Has anyone here heard of Tobii? T-O-B-I-I. No. I bet you're going to look it up after this. So Tobii is eye-tracking technology that's already widely available. My brother introduced it to me as it's being used in the world of video gaming. There are several popular games in which you can incorporate a sensor that will track your eye movement and can pinpoint exactly what part of the screen you're looking at. So now you can, you can navigate a virtual world or even aim a virtual gun simply by looking 
It's crazy. And it's not just for video games and multiple applications with remarkable accuracy. Toby I can track what you are looking at and how long your gaze remains there. As a company, they claim that they can help leverage data used by eye tracking and attention computing to aid in research, development, and commercialization in any industry. As you scroll through your phone, watch movies, shows, or commercials, this technology can collect data on what it is that catches your eye. I don't know about you, but I, it's already a, a little creepy that my social media feed and my, my browser experience right, can feed me with personalized ads and commercials based on search history. It's like one more level of frightening knowing that technology is in play that can track my eye's attention and then leverage that data to learn more about my preferences and, and attractions. It's crazy. The eye, your eyes, being read, being tracked. That inner space, those thoughts, glances, observations that no one else knows you have being scanned and leveraged. And the crazy part is, well, it might be new technology. The ideas as old as the sun, the ancients have, have often spoken of the eye as the window to the soul. That by looking deep into someone's eye, you can perceive their emotions, their dreams, their innermost thoughts and being. That's why when we're feeling off, it's harder to make eye contact with people. It's vulnerable. And these teachings didn't escape Jesus either. While teaching about money and earthly treasures, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Essentially, Jesus is teaching that, that if you consistently cast your gaze on things that are healthy, your body will be healthy. But if you fill your eyes with things that are not good, your whole body will go with it. It's wild how simple and yet mind-expanding this notion is. We all know that, that what we put in our mouths, right, what we eat, it affects our health. But how often do we stop to think about what we feed our eyes? Because that can, can affect us even deeper, right? That food can find its way into our soul, and so flipping channels isn't just flipping channels. Scrolling isn't just scrolling. It's feeding you. It's entering through the window of your soul. Our eyes, they are mysterious, precious, and all powerful entrance into our being, our consciousness. They have so much impact on us, and yet we do very little to, to guard them to protect them, to, to harness them, to lead us to, to light. The upside, the good news to all of it is as it's easy as the eye can be filled with garbage and, and lead us into sickness, the eye can also be filled with things of beauty and lead us into light, into life. And so as you continue to think about 
a vow you might take for Nazarite November. As you continue down your own path to spiritual growth and exploration, as you seek health and wholeness in your life and in your relationships, consider the eye. Consider what we feed our eyes. Today on this warm summer day, consider finding a place or a thing of true beauty, a garden, a bright orange tree, a pond, or even just the horizon. Find something of beauty and feed your eyes with it. Try it. Try sitting in silence for 10 minutes, feeding your eyes with something beautiful. And take notice how you feel. At that time, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Come back next week as we conclude the story of Samson. It's a dramatic ending. Amen.